Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the 86th Club podcast, the podcast that centers around the bartender and the hospitality industry. Uh, We have not done an episode in a couple months, um, mainly for scheduling issues, (laughs) to put it nicely. (laughs) I'm not calling anybody out. But now that we are back on track, babe, don't leave any of this in. I'll be so mad. He'll edit as he sees necessary. Yes, don't leave this in. I'm just, I'm just, I might do a little personal venting, but don't, don't let me do that. Can you keep this one part in though? And I, I don't care where you put it and where you decide to put it, edit it. But I absolutely love y'all's dynamic. You guys have the perfect dynamic of communication and just anything that I've seen. Like, I mean, he's he's one of a kind. I will tell you this: after being in some long term relationships where I thought it was really like. You know, you sometimes when whenever you're in a long term relationship, you think, oh, well, this is the one, right? This is it. And there were some I had that mentality of, okay, can I see myself, you know, with this person for the rest of my life? And then it was just like the minute I met Matt, it was just like, oh, it was like the universe was like, oh, no, 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 no. Here is like the rest of your life. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. And now you have a baby. She's not a baby anymore. She's three years old now. It's still a baby to me. I know. <laughs> she just turned three. But no, we're really lucky to have her. She's um, she's fantastic. Um, so we'll loop back around yeah, to the so intro. Let's, <laughs> we have to go back because I have to introduce who you are. So it, ladies and gentlemen, I haven't introduced this person who I'm talking to yet, mainly because um, I just love her. And when we get together, even though we don't see each other enough, it just falls naturally into this wonderful conversation. But um, across from me is Kat McKenna. Hello. Longtime bartender. I mean, way too long. <laughs> uh, so I will be, to introduce myself, I am 35 currently. Um, and I was 16, like, like just turned 16. And the first thing you want to do as a 16 year old is wake up on your, you know, weekends from high school and get up at six o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. and go and gas up carts and load them up with Bloody Mary mix Mm -hmm. and, you know, scotch and beer and all this stuff. And your club that you worked at had carts because I the one that I so I was a beverage manager for a club for two years and yeah. we didn't we pulled out the carts on parties oh no the carts were always out on the weekends oh we didn't have a regular cart girl oh yeah I was the cart girl on the weekend so Saturday and Sunday I woke Damn up at six thirty or five or six o'clock or five thirty in the morning mm. and I would go do that but what no well, probably people did realize and I thought I was being super sneaky because you always think you're super sneaky when you're a teenager. (laughs) It's just really not the case. And your parents are like, we know everything you're doing. We're just choosing to ignore it. Whatever, dummy. Like, stop. We got it. It's not that big of a deal. But uh, so I would get up super early and I would go and I would load my cart up and I had like vodka, Bloody Mary mix, scotch. And this is in New Orleans. Well, not New Orleans, but Deshran, which is basically the swamp. It's like a country club that they built on top of a swamp. But yeah, you know, so I um, so I did that for about a year or so. And then next thing I knew, like the GM quit. And then it just kind of became one thing. Like they hired another GM that was just a (laughs) he did some very some very illegal things and. Filling bottles with other bottles and just he would pour aristocrat into Grey Goose bottles. Oh, my God. 
and just keep the money. It was so terrible. It was so bad. It was so bad. And there were so many times that I'd go up to the office or something like that, and then he would just be passed out. And I was like, all right, so what's the plans for this 300-person wedding banquet that we have? And he's just like, nothing. Like, nothing's done. Nothing's anything. So just on the fly. Luckily, I had, like, a really good relationship with, like, the chefs that were there. So they were already prepared. But as far as, you know, I could always, like, pull booze from places and things like that. Even though I was, God, at the time I was... 18, 19. Barely. I mean, you can't even legally drink. Although, I mean, you are secretly. Oh, yeah, I was. <laughs> I always made sure that there was a keg in, because everything was open bar because it was, you know, a country club. Sure. But I always made sure there was a keg in the cooler for the staff. So we so, would, so the budding bar manager, cat is still, is even at 17, is still looking out for the crew. Which oh, is absolutely. Kind of nice. Absolutely. Okay. I like yeah. that. So like, oh, yeah, you go serve like your tray of things and then come back into a keg stand in the walk-in. <laughs> I mean, oh, and the walk-in. We could get into that, right? Like the walk-in is like the it's secret. It's your safe space. It's, yeah, it's your... <laughs> It's your safe space. It's your um, panic room. Yeah. Right? Like, it's the room that you go in when you want to yell. Like, if a chef and a GM are having it out, it's like, I will meet you in the walk-in. <laughs> and you know, like, you can't go in. I mean, you, you whatever's in the walk-in no, is no, going to no, just no, have no, to be no. out of stock because I'm you sorry. can't go in. Like, I've kept a different relationship with that. If there needed to be venting or anything like that, that went outside. Oh, so you just preferred people to really just hear it no no not like outside like out front but like outside like (laughs) you know go go in the alleyway go by the dumpster so we have like our little safe spaces that we have like i'm not gonna go smoke a cigarette in the walk-in i mean i would hope not i'm sure it's been done i mean i may have done it over my career of many years of working but yeah i i have not in a very long time. So let's go back to you're 17, you're at this club, and then what happens in your industry career timeline? So I was there for uh, about three years or so, and then uh, I was finishing high school. I was doing college classes. I had that job. I've, I've never been like a person to not have multiple jobs and be doing like a million things at one time. Mm-hmm. For some reason, it just kind of drives me insane drives you insane to not be doing a million things at one time yeah i I have to live in i live in chaos (laughs) (sighs) i'm trying to think about what my therapist would say to that i've gotten a lot better about it in my in my later year this is this is me this is young cat where i just was like i live in chaos like my whole life is just chaos like my my home life is chaos just like everything was just nuts all the time So a lot of things I just kind of like had to do all like, I was just like, I have to take care of myself. I have to make money. I have to do this. I have to do that. You know, I have to go to college. I have to do this and like do what my dad says and, you know, finish school and have these grades. And, but then also like make money and, and do this stuff. Cause I have to, you know, I just gotta, ah, all these things. Was bartending like an outlet for you in some way, like from the chaos? In a bit, in a big way. Yeah, absolutely. Because it allowed me to, um, I think like vent in a way. And even though I've always tried to be like that bartender that doesn't like, hey, oh, you had a bad day? <laughs> listen to my bad day. It's kind of like a therapy to like listen to other people's bad days. Like as bad as I have it, maybe some people have had it worse. Mm-hmm. I, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I you mean, know, like it's so you, you kind of always, it kind of like puts more things in perspective for me and always did. 
And but I could also do that, and I could also get like my manic kind of craziness out at the same time by it being the cat show. No, yeah, like, going back to the theatrical <laughs> element of what bartending is is like I loved bartending. Um, well, when I found it, and then I like finally got behind the stick because I didn't get behind the stick until much later, like like into my twenties after I had already had like a sales job and everything. You know, I actually didn't learn what that term meant until like. A year ago. The stick? Yeah, to get behind the stick. Sean O'Connor explained it. <laughs> explained what it, it. Well, explained it to me. Not to call Sean O'Connor out, but what does Sean O'Connor think it means? No, I'm he just <laughs> told me that it he goes was from on the here old, so I can like soda fountain days. Okay. And it Do was like it was like being behind the because you always had like the the stick pour like in front of you. So it was from the old soda fountain days. That's what he told me. And I was just like, sure, whatever. I'm also extremely gullible, so like I have I, a feeling he's right. Like the truth is, I don't know the answer to that either. I just wanted to hear what Sean O'Connor had to say. <laughs> Sean, if you're listening, I think that's right. Um, the idea is the bar is a stage, and um, coming f- for me from the acting background and loving um, loving theater, loving musicals, um, growing up on that, and really embracing that. I always wanted to be a performer of some sort. And I do feel like even now, I I think that there's a performance element to what I continue to do in the industry. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I'm being fake. It is that I'm channeling something inside of me and trying to make it translatable uh, so that another person kind of gets it. And, and, And we are the show. And I loved the idea of like... The bar is the stage and you're the bartender. So you're the actor and all lights are on you. And people want to be entertained and they want to be heard and they want to like, they want something to be meaningful and resonate. And, and again, it just goes back to that human connection. And I, I don't know if I've ever said it before on this podcast, but I've definitely said it to people in individual conversations over cocktails, which is the bartender for me is a big metaphor there's two people and they don't know each other and it's the bartender and then the guest and the person walks in and they sit at your bar and they're literally in front of a barrier, which is the bar itself, mm-hmm. right? And the whole idea between, you know, like like when you walk away from having a great experience at a bar tends to be when you're able to get past that physical and mental and emotional barrier that we all have up. And you're really able to humanly connect with somebody else over a cocktail or a conversation or whatever that is. And so that's the thing that I've always loved. Like for me, that's the acting challenge in it too, because everybody's different. So then you want to like try and find out what it is about that specific person that's in front of your bar at that moment that's going to break that barrier down. And I feel like that's what a good bartender does on their best day. But can I ask you this then? Does it make you feel like almost like a chameleon person sometimes? I am. Like you have to kind yeah. of like in a way like adjust your personality depending on who you're talking to. I am probably only, I would say this, opportunities that have been afforded to me in this career are directly because I am a chameleon. A hundred percent. Absolutely. People like talking to people that remind them of themselves. Like you naturally pivot as a bartender or on any side of this industry, a host, a GM, a manager, whatever, 
on, you know, I mean, I could go further and talk about the distributor side, the sales side, the brand, the brand ambassador side. You are a chameleon. Like you can be your individual self, but like at the end of the day too, and people will love you and respect you for that. You have to change the way you speak to people and kind of like move your dynamic around a little bit because like of you have to get on their level exactly like you can't you can't come in and just be this like fucking asshole and expect people to just get you i mean i i love doing that but (laughs) it doesn't always work for me (laughs) so so for me like that's a big reason that i felt that i found um success in as a bartender was the actor would you like some more Tattersall Rye. Absolutely, darling. Tattersall Rye. A three-year rye from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Tattersall Distilling. Okay, that's it. It's so delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you want to loop back to origin stuff or do you want to I do. Okay. I kind of feel like the way this podcast is going to go is we're going to constantly be looping back. We're just going to go back and forth. (laughs) But I like that. Well, because it's nice because this is a one-on-one. So it's really like an in-depth. It's nice and organic. Like, have you ever seen like Inside the Actor's Studio? Yes. But going back to your story. Lessons learned. So I worked for for this one uh, golf course company for a long period of time. Was, again, like I said, obviously like didn't realize at the time, but was like was taken advantage of as far as like, you know, pay and like things like that and like what I did and like what I should have made and stuff. But it's all a learning. I was 19. I, I didn't know any better. I knew like I didn't know anything. Right. I knew nothing about like craft or nothing about industry. But all I knew is that I could figure out logistics and I could plan parties and I could figure out how to throw all this together in a matter of a day or two. But then there was Hurricane Katrina. Mm. So that put a big, huge um, speed bump in my life. Um, I went, God, I went to Texas for four months. Why? Um, Because there were no jobs in New Orleans. Okay. So I left, I went to, if you want my Katrina story. (laughs) I mean, I, I want it all and then, you know. My actual Katrina story is, and most people don't get this, but it's, um, so I, everybody thought Hurricane Katrina was going to be like category three. Mm-hmm. So and we've all lived in Florida for long enough to be like, category three, that's nothing. Yeah, like, screw a- it. Like, we're fine. I'm still going to work today. Yeah. Like, we just had like a bunch of booze. Like, I was at this guy's house, like, with like his family and stuff. Like, we were just going to like booze it up. Like, we were on the river. And then just overnight, it just became this monstrous thing. And my best friend, who I still talk to um, to this day, Samantha, she called me up and she goes, hey, leave now. Like, now, now. And I was like, why? She goes, do you not look at the new, like, leave, leave. Uh So I literally, I threw everything that I could think of in like a bag and just spent like jumped in a car and got to her house, which was mid Louisiana, which was only four hours away. Technically, nobody can see my quotation marks right now, but like technically, <laughs> <laughs> technically only four hours away. It took fourteen hours. Oh my god! With contraflow, which contraflow? What's contraflow? There is no going in. There's only leaving. That means both sides of the highway are leaving. It is complete evacuation. Wow. Um, and I was crammed into like a 1970-something Camaro 
with no AC and it was pouring rain. The windows were freaking rolled up and I was like hot and miserable and terrible and gross. Mm. I remember the first gas station that we rolled by, it was, they had hiked up their gas prices to like something insane. I mean, and like gouging of course is very illegal, but people were just going to do it anyway. Mm. But it was like, they were charging, I think I want to say $30 a gallon. Oh my God. Just cause they could. Wow. So but it was sad. only if you paid cash. They, they wouldn't take cards or anything like that. And this is, I mean, 2005, so there weren't really a lot of people using cards back then. Mm-hmm. So uh, cash only, $35 a gallon. Mm. So I finally made it to Natchitoches. Um, and my dad at the time was a nuclear engineer. He's retired now. but He's he, a nuclear engineer? Yeah. High school graduate, nuclear engineer. Love the baby boomer generation. Wow. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, so I got there and then spent about three days there for the most part, sitting in front of the TV and sitting in front of CNN, like bawling my eyes out, thinking my entire family's dead because the last message I got from my dad was, <clears throat> Hey, so he, he, like I said, he was a nuclear engineer, so they do rotations, um, on how, who can evacuate and who can't mm-hmm. whenever there's a, a storm. So that was his turn to be there. Mm. So what they do is they do what's called a, ver- a vertical evacuation. So they block off, which is actually, fun fact, um, to recap on anything, this is why my um, my room got screwed up last Tales of the Cocktail that they had. Oh, really? Because everything got flooded. Yeah, everything got flooded, like, right before. And, like, they like my room got screwed up. But it ended up working out wonderfully because I had a – super awesome airbnb with like caroline and sean like we all had a great time so Mm. ended up better in the in the long run but um in montana of course sorry i don't want to leave her out (laughs) she's always there somewhere she's there i love montana but um anyway so yeah like i got a message from my dad um early in the morning saying like hey they're evacuating us to the lower levels because um the windows blew out and uh, oh, I love you. I'll talk to you when I talk to you. Mm. And then I didn't, I didn't hear or talk to them for three days. Wow! Until I could get back into the city, and they were stopping people at like every parish line. Which to explain to anybody that doesn't know what a parish line is, it's basically a county line. Um, Louisiana just likes to be special. <laughs> <laughs> they think they're super cool. So um, there aren't parishes, there's counties. Counties everywhere else, parishes there. Thank you, Napoleon and his Napoleonic code. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But um, sat there at the the parish lines at 6 a.m. waiting to get in. And then we get into like one parish and then like sleep in the car, do something or figure something out. And then we get one parish in and then one parish in, one parish in, like just as soon as they let things go. And then I finally got back into like where my dad was and it went like super crazy. Like in order to get back in to even just to go see my family, I had to stop at a Red Cross and get like 11 shots. Really? Yeah. Because it was like malaria. It was West Nile. It was encephalitis. It was, it was, there's so many things that they were worried about because there was so much stagnant water. So they treated you almost like as if I understand because I had I mean well I had I, when I went to Southeast Asia I had to get a lot of shots yeah. in order to go over there yeah. um, and it was a requirement I mean you have to show a vaccination record mm-hmm. like you can't not not do it yeah so yeah 
So the, it was like literally Red Cross is like at the oh. carriage line, just like being like, all right, here you go. Here's all your shots. Like wow. you have your ID, like go ahead. All right, there you go. Finally got back in and I'm thinking my entire family's dead because all I've been doing is watching CNN for three days. Mm-hmm. No, 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 they're just fine. My brother's, my brother's <laughs> like cooking, like he's on the front porch, like with a grill, like, <laughs> like we don't have any power. So I'm just cooking everything in the freezer or whatever. Like it's fine. <clears throat> we ate MREs for probably about a month. What like, did you have? MREs. 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 Meals ready to eat. It's, oh, it's like what they give the military guys. It's just it's it's like worse than a TV dinner. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> that's that's good. That's a good one. It's just it's the worst thing ever. Like I hate them. But, so anyway, so came back. Like nothing was open. Nothing was open for. A long period of time boogied off to texas to for like four months because a bunch of my friends were going there went to houston and then uh went there just like kind of just to work to make money were you bartending at the time did you get a bartending job they wouldn't let me bartend yet i wasn't 21 yet so they would oh, not let me bartend. all this happened before you were 21 yeah they yeah, would yeah right. that wow. was yeah uh katrina was 2005 i was that's born right. in 85 i was in uh, me too i forgot yeah we weren't 21 so i had yet. just a bit left just, just like a, a bit just a bit just like a teeny so teen. they would not let me bartend and their rules in t- texas if no one's ever worked in texas the tabc mm-hmm. is extremely strict the tabc tabc is what they call it oh, you're very good with the acronyms it's <laughs> but i mean they're tobacco like, alcohol bureau corporation is am i taking a guess here uh, i'm i have no idea honestly the probably probably i would just call it the tap uh, the I, would, tab. I would call them more pains in my asses yeah. really than anything well that's the uh <laughs> that's definitely the adt here that's the uh what is it no it's the no, al- they're, alcohol they're, beverage tobacco what are they here it's aft <gasps> There it is. AFT is what you're thinking of. And that's like, that's a federally. That's like, what I'm thinking of. But there's certain states that run off of any state that has a state store. So Texas is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're very, so like every bottle that gets sold has a barcode. Yeah. Okay. No, but like not just like a barcode like on it, but like a little, like a physical paper barcode. Okay. So you cannot do those crappy things like refilling other bottles with bottles, oh. and like it's it's very highly regulated, or at least it was back then in two thousand five. I don't know. I haven't been back in a long time because I'm still traumatized. But <laughs> <laughs> Texas traumatized you? They did. They did. I mean, like I couldn't tell people where I was from. They were so mad at everybody from from New Orleans. Were they? Yeah. Why? Uh, they thought we were mostly just trash people. Because there was a lot of people that came through and they just got like a bunch of money from the government and they would like, they were like, oh, I have like $40,000. I'm just going to come out here. You and mean just you're talking about Katrina this? transplants that <clears throat> yeah. had gotten money from their homes being destroyed and their lives being uprooted? And yes. and then other people yes. thought that that was somehow taking advantage of the government and reaching. Yes. Well, I was the same person. I w- I did the exact same thing, but I went out there and I got a job. Mm. There was a lot of people that went out there and didn't get jobs. But um, but either way, I came back um, and then kind of came back because I start had kind of started working at Pat O'Brien's right before I left. Pat O'Brien's is what? 
is Pat O'Brien is a very famous bar in the French Quarter of New Orleans where the hurricane was invented. There it is. Nice. Very cool. It's not true. The hurricane was not invented there. <laughs> where was the hurricane invented? <laughs> the hurricane was batched and sold at mass at that bar. Okay. So, so then who invented the hurricane? Do we know? I don't I actually don't know off the top of my head. Because the original recipe that they that like I know like is not the original recipe that they have. Well, I can tell you every time I go to New Orleans, I mean the hurricane is like the drink. I mean, and there were listen, there's a lot of famous drinks that were invented in New Orleans. There's obviously the French seventy five, the Sazerac, the Vucare. Which and is where I actually learned how to like make all those all those things. In New Orleans? Yeah. I will tell you, I went, I like, I love the Hotel Montillon and the Carousel Bar is beautiful and fun and like, it's a really good time. But like, I don't necessarily think, I, I mean, I, hung I mean, up, I hung it at the dive bars. Well, that's what I'm saying. I was like, always at Aaron Rose and, and Absinthe House. Dog, <laughs> and like, not, not, not so much Absinthe House, but like Aaron Rose, Three Legged Dog and Johnny yeah. White's. Okay. Like, I love Johnny White so much. When I found out they closed, like I was so upset. So, I, I literally was in tears about it. Because this is part of your upbringing, right? Like this is well, yeah. Your... Because it was one when the most time that I spent working at Pato's and like working in the French Quarter and stuff like that, like Johnny White's was was like my hangout. What was bar my... would you liken it to in Tampa? What bar would I liken it to? Like, like if Johnny if Johnny O's is your hangout in New Orleans and the dive bar of choice, then what's Johnny your... White's? But Johnny White's. I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Johnny O. No. Everybody. Well, you have to understand. So this bar did not close for 80 years. Wow. It did not close for all of Katrina. There were people still sitting in that bar as it was flooding up. There was like two inches. It didn't like the French Quarter <laughs> didn't really flood too bad. There was like two or three inches, but they were like, we don't care. We have no power. We're just drinking warm beer. We don't care. We're just going to sit here with no power. We're like, we don't, we get, it's like an eight seat bar, a little shotgun bar. Mm. Like it was my favorite place to be. It's always my favorite place to be. Why was it? Because it was just a dirty little fucking shithole. <laughs> like, I love dirty dive bars. It's my favorite. They've always been my favorite. And and what's the, but what about them beyond it being so appealing from the way you describe it as a dirty <laughs> shithole dive bar? Why does that make you feel nostalgic for that? Like what about that environment um, resonates with you? Um. So... I don't know. I, I don't really know what it is. I mean, I can talk about like being in Ebor and why it resonates with me being here. Mm -hmm. So I've been in Ebor for five years. I maybe a little more that I've actually lived in Ebor or been around. And it's been about five years or so. And I just it's something about being here that just reminds me I, I need a little dirt to my culture. I guess if mm. that makes sense. a little grit. That's why I like I love New York. Like Denver's cool. It's a little clean for me, mm. but like, like the clean cities, I'm like, man, like I'm all right, but I want like, uh, I just like dirty, dingy. You want a little trash on the ground. I, yeah. I, I need like just dirty, dingy things. Like <laughs> I just, that's really what I want. So is there a level to like humanity in terms of when there's something as, does it mean more like the rawness of something? <laughs> because for me... The reason why I resonated with my time living in New York was because of that reason. It was it was a hodgepodge of different types of cultures and people coming together. What I would guess that you're also feeling is 
the reason why we like the French Quarter or Dirty Dive Bars or, um, you know, Ebor. working in Ebor City and living in Ebor City. Is because there's that grittiness to it. And it's really about everybody coming together and the rawness of humanity. Like it reminds you of being very raw. Yeah. And there's something that you can't escape from. Like when I lived in Brooklyn on the corner, you know, like every day walking to like the subway, I would pass, you know, lots of different types of people from all different um, cultures. And then it would be, you know, like my regular homeless guy, like on the corner, like, hey, what's up, man? You know, and like he was a part of my community just as much as like literally living down the street from like Michelle Williams. You know what I mean? It was just a crazy mishmash moshing of humanity in this big soup bowl which is why I think like places like Ebor and just the city vibe in general have that not a lot of other places do. Yeah. And I get I get incredibly like very I get very um like protective over like certain of like my homeless crew where I'm like I know you're struggling and I know you're like I want to help you and I want to do all these things like I know there's only so many things I can do but I want to help you in a little bit of a way. And on that note, <laughs> we're going to take on, a break. And on that, yeah. On that way, I'm, I'm going to help you by sharing more whiskey with you on this break. Okay, fair. Yeah, okay. we'll take a break. All right, fair enough. Okay, fair. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another round of the 86 Club podcast where we are sitting in a very intimate one-on-one -on -one session with Miss Kat McKenna. We're going to do a quick cheers. We're doing a quick cheers. Wait, is that Monty in your glass or is that still Tattersall? Oh, that's some Tattersall. Okay, right. perfect. I have Monty now in my glass. Oh. All right, cheers. Salud. Salud. Why is Montenegro so such delicious? A, yeah, like why <laughs> is it a thing? In your opinion, like, you know how Monty is now like the bartender handshake. It's like or like I get like a lot of bar people tell me like Monty is just something they pour people when they walk into a bar. If you know somebody or at the end of a night, like or whatever, like what do you think it is about Montenegro specifically or not or just Amari in general that becomes the bartender thing? I just I've always loved Amaro's. I've loved everything bitter. I've, I've always loved just those flavors, because they're more malty. They're more seductive. I love saying it like that, too. It's seductive. <laughs> they're more cutting edge, too. I feel like like bitter boozy stirred. That's my. That's the way I order drinks when I'm at bars. Absolutely. And is it, it's, is it a bartender thing? Is it just that we taste so much all the time, so then we tend to like things that are a little bit more on the extremity of the palate? Like... I honestly just think it's a person-to-person -person thing. Cause I know plenty of bartenders that still to this day will will go daiquiris over anything. Mm -hmm. I had a daiquiri today. It was great. Well, I love dac. I I love daiquiris. I love snackeries. I, I you know I love I love gimlets. I I just really do. But the the citrus generally like for me personally, I will always take a stirred spirit forward cocktail over anything else. I, I do think it's actually, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It's it's just hard in general to get a really balanced cocktail on some level anyway, like when you order it. Well, it always depends on who the bartender is as well. You mean they're going to make it to their preference? Well, I mean, I guess like if I know the bartender, then I'll be more lenient, 
<laughs> like, okay. and that sounds really, really, really crappy. But like, if I know the bartender and they know me, then I'll be more lenient and I'll be like, more like, oh yeah, no, like, you know, like I like my bitter cocktails, sir, it just made me something. Right. It's fine. But if it's something, if it's somebody that I don't know that I'm like, no, like I want this, this, and this specifically. And will you, are you the person, will, will you tell them the recipe you want? Like, will you give them the build? Yeah, I will. I do that too. And I know that that's like, I know, something I, know. That's I feel like upon. a jerk about it. I don't feel <laughs> every like every time, every I don't, time. You know what? I, I don't feel like a jerk about it. Like one of my things, like, but it, I always tip really well. So I don't feel like that much of a jerk. About it. I'll, I'll tell you this. When I don't, when I don't tell people exactly what it, it's like when you're, okay, prime example. It's like when you're at a steakhouse and you order a steak and they ask you, what temperature do you want it cooked? Should I just say, you know what? Surprise me. Or no. if I know I love medium rare, should I just say medium rare? Like, yeah. I feel like that's the way drink ordering is too. It's like, okay, yeah. Like one of my favorite cocktails lately to drink is a split-based daiquiri, one, one to one Montenegro and dry white rum. So like, obviously in my world, I'm drinking Diplomatico, but like at, at the end of the day, as long as it's a really nice rum that you like and it tends to like, it can hold up to like Monty, I'm fine with that. I don't specify it. It's just like, I want a split paste daiquiri up one to one. But at the same time, I might even, depending on where I am, be like, hey, typically the way I make it is like, you know, quarter dem, half simple, one ounce lime, you know, <laughs> like I'm an asshole and I feel bad. I like, Can you just do this for me, please? But I'm an <laughs> asshole. But at the same time, at the end of the day, I get I get the drink that I want and I enjoy it versus going, you know what? Just make it the way that you want to make it. And then I drink it and I'm like, mm. and meanwhile, I'm like, I would not have made it this way. I don't. So like I do it. that. I do that with boulevardiers personally. I do that. Um, so I tell them to, if I don't know the bartender, I'm like, if I know the bartender, they generally know how I like to drink it. But if I get boulevardiers at a bar that I've never been at, I tell them to. I ask them to, will you please split the sweet vermouth with your favorite amaro, and I will give them the choice of their favorite amaro. So are you? But do you specify the vermouth? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. So you're like, uh, you can use whatever vermouth you want and whatever morrow you want, but you have to split it. Yes. So I like that. I haven't, I haven't tried it that way. But it, yeah, if it's somewhere I've never been, I'll, I'll like, just be like, all right, like, let me like, just sometimes I'm like particular about it, but like for the most part, I'm like, just pick, pick your favorite vermouth. Do you have a specific whiskey that you called for, for your Boulevardier that you um, really like? Specific whiskey. I mean, for a Boulevardier, for an actual stirred cocktail, I'm gonna want something a little more like aged, a little okay. more like 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 Russell's tenure or Hey Doug Twenty. <laughs> hey Doug. Yeah, what's up, Doug? Hey, Cat wants some Russell's tenure in her Boulevardier. <laughs> I always do, but no, I love. I do. I actually really do like Russell's tenure. I really, really do. I was drinking it. A few weeks ago at Urban Stillhouse with Doug, actually. Oh, are you? <laughs> yeah. I would do that. I would do the, uh, the Tattersall Rye. I would actually do that in a Boulevardier, honestly. Like, it's I, I delicious. Haven't even, I haven't tried it in, in a Boulevardier. It might work. I like it. When you have an extra bottle, let me know, and I'll, I'll, I'll take it off. Well, I'm going to need to pull another sample <laughs> bottle after this session. 
Um, <laughs> so so let's go back um, to so, so we have we have we have talking points. Let's, no, but it's good. But I I like this. So let's continue on our cat journey. So you are now. <clears throat> In Texas, and you're 20, and then so, so maybe in the Cliff Notes version a little bit, like how did you get to Tampa? What year was that? And then so what's your journey since then? I actually, so I went, I spent a couple months in Texas. I then I went back to New Orleans for about five more months, and I worked in the French Quarter. I uh, mostly lived in a hostel. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're a vagabond i love yeah, it yeah i've always been a dirty a dirty street degenerate perfect so yeah i lived in a hostel for a bit i would go to my dad's house for maybe like two days at a time just to go wash clothes and do whatever if i decided like i even wanted to wash clothes mm. i was making so much money at the time like i could just be like ah screw washing clothes i'll just buy new ones ah it's crazy you're, you were making so much money for like literally working, working or- at Pat O'Brien's, like it was insane. I would make anywhere between eight and twelve hundred dollars a night. It was oh my god, yeah. And how many days did you work? Probably only four days a week. So you're raking in the dough. Yeah, in in my twenties, I made more twenties in my than I did in my thirties. Isn't that the truth? Me fucking too. Oh, it's just is it's alarming. It I sucks. made more money in my twenties. <laughs> I had a lot of shoes and like nothing. Like I was never a shoe person. I just I was say, never a shoe person. What I'm trying to say is I made more monies in my 20s. I made more monies in my 20s. <laughs> I made more money in my 20s and I really didn't have anything to show my for new, it's it. It's my new life, like my life sentence, my life goal. I made all my monies in my 20s. My monies in my 20s. So it's going to start my new rap career. But, <laughs> but... I had nothing to show for it. Now I feel like I'm way more balanced in terms of I know exactly what I need and then what I want and then yeah. like also what I want to save. And it's it's a totally different mindset. For Absolutely. Sure. No, trust me. I, I, I don't even, and I don't even actually have a kid. Like I just learned to like start saving money and not being that check to check like mm-hmm. bartender and like being like, hey, guess what? I have like this much money and guess what and can all it can all go away in a day right well and covid i think taught everybody that right even before that honestly like it just you know i because i played ro- i played roller derby for seven years so at any point i could snap my ankle or you know break my arm or or something and like i would just be like all right well now i can't work mm. i actually did have a period of time where i broke my wrist and i worked for like four days or I just like decided to not go to the doctor and I just held my arm in the air and they were like what's the matter with your arm and I was, you like, did not. I was like I don't know it may or may not be broken what do you want to drink <laughs> like do you want your dog this is when I worked at a dive bar so yeah to continue my progression of things I worked at a dive bar after that and still in New Orleans no so I I left New Orleans I went to Pensacola and I was in Pensacola for about five years and why were you in Pensacola because it wasn't New Orleans. <laughs> so what made you go to Pensacola? Just somebody told you, hey, you should go there? Um, I had a friend of mine that was there that just basically was like, look, you can stay in my apartment for a month and then not pay rent. And then once you get a job, then just pay rent. Like, it's whatever. And I was kind of like at this like wit's end mm-hmm. with New Orleans, like just dealing with it. 
And again, living like between hostels and my dad's house and just like everything that was just insanity in for for myself. But um, so I cut that off and I was just like, I was like, yeah, no, I'm just going to take off and I'm going to I'm just going to go. I made a decision in a matter a matter of like 20 seconds. I was like, you know what? Do let's let's do it. Let's go. I'm done. So in the next like week, like I packed up everything I had, which was pretty much nothing. Um, and I went to Pensacola and I got there and the first thing I did was cry a lot. Because <laughs> mm. I was like, what the fuck did I just do? Um, but then I figured it out. I found my place. I was there for about five and a half years. I found, well, about six years or so, maybe five and a half, almost six years. I found a dive bar that I worked at that I loved, absolutely loved. I found a complete family in this dive bar. Mm. Um, and I still talk to a, a lot of these people from this place and, and all that. And I still keep in touch with them. And it created a whole, like, you know, like bar family and all that. But then I got to a point where I was dating someone that wanted to move down here. And I was like, well, you know, I'm kind of like ready to like, uh, my game, like all I've been doing is, you know, when I've, I had actually even like done like kind of bar, con- like I was always known for having the best Bloody Marys in town or like doing like this and stupid, like dumb, like I'm just going to make like these little specials on the, on the weekends or like something. So I always know, knew that I wanted to do something better than what I was doing at this little dive bar. Well, you, you had some sort of like, <clears throat> Thing that was pulling you to to strive for something a little bit more within the industry. Exactly, exactly. So I came down here, worked at a beach bar for a while, um, just trying to find my place. Which beach? Um, I actually worked in Gulfport. Oh, the 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 beach that is not <laughs> mentioned a lot. Yeah, <laughs> the, the place no one knows about. Oh, Gulfport. Oh, yeah. I like never go there. Yeah. <laughs> But actually, I lived in downtown St. Petersburg. I worked in Gulfport. I was there for a good little while, and then I moved to Tampa. And then as soon as I was in Tampa, something about being in Tampa, I was, like, initially, like, in, like drawn to Ebor. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just, like, it was something about <clears throat> my personality. And I don't know. If it's, again, as we were discussing earlier, like, we need, like, some grime to our city or something like that. Like, I just need some grime to my city. I just need, I need something. Like, so I just was initially, I like, was just drawn to Ebor. So even if I was, like, anywhere I was, like, as soon as I moved to Tampa, I was initially, like, drawn to Ebor, and I was just, like, I have to be, like, around these bars because it just reminds me of home. It just reminds me of, like, being back in Louisiana or something like that, and, like, even if it's not the bars themselves, but it's the community that there is. Because as long as I've been in Ebor, I've lived in Ebor as well. So I live, like, personally, like, like right next to, like, the guy that lives across the street from me, he is 80 years old. He is like, I was born in this house. I'll die in this house. Mm. I got this. Like, whatever. <laughs> My neighbors, when I'm not there, they'll walk my dog. Like, I, I like, I have the best neighbors, the best everything. I have a little tiny shotgun house. 
Like it just reminds me of living in mid city. It just everything about it, and it it, it feels very like we have like we have a community. And that's the biggest thing that I've always missed about being in Louisiana is that the community vibe that there is there. And if like I mean if you like if you haven't been there, like there's something about that place that just has like a vibe of community. You can walk down the street and next thing you know, like you'll walk down the street and then there's just somebody like, Hey, I like your face, like you're great come inside, meet my kids here. I got some food on the stove, eat some food, have a beer, like whatever. <laughs> like, it's cool. And that's why I love my little, my little nook neighborhood because like, it's just, it just reminds me of that. It just, it makes me happy. Like just to be in that little, like just area where I'm just like, I know my neighbors and I know my neighbors and my neighbors know me and we all look out for each other and like all that. Yeah, there was, I mean, even today, just coming to the podcast, there was, um, I had to I drop off something at Barter House, and I went to see Riley, and of course, I was on the phone with you saying, hey, I'm going to be a few minutes late, and then, um, here, I'll take some of that, and then <laughs> we're finishing the bottle of Tatters off, um, but we didn't drink the whole bottle, it was only like a quarter full, I just would like to let everybody know that. It wasn't Whatever. the entire bottle. We wouldn't do that. That would be irresponsible. Um, so, so says you. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> but I, I had come in and I was dropping something off, and um, Riley was there, and like you were on the phone, and you were like, "Oh, tell Riley I said hi." And little did I know that you and Riley even knew each other. And then we're like, "Oh man!" Like I was like, you know, a part of his bartending, like you know, career in terms of like you being somebody that you know kind of helped him along a little bit. And then him, ha you know, being so great and just having his own ideas and just kind of seeing him grow as a person. And then little did I know, I turn around and like there's Ryan Brown and his girlfriend walk in and I haven't seen Ryan in probably a year. And, Can you I know. I say it's like sometimes too, like how crazy it is for me to like realize that like the respect that people have for me and it's nuts to me, like... I mean, I just, I just don't get it. Like, I'm just like, I, I don't feel like I've done so, like so much in this city, but yet there's so many people that are just like, oh my God, you've taught me this and you taught me this and you oh. were there for this and you were there for this. And I'm just like, 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 I want to like cry right now. <laughs> it's just crazy because <laughs> it's, it's like, it's weird because like, I don't feel like I've made these impacts on on people's lives but apparently i have well one i mean i think just part of being somebody who you know as you grow older the idea is that you do you hope that you know your your life is not lived in vain and that you you whatever you choose to do um for your day-to-day -day, uh you know that does impact other people somehow i mean it's you know it's interesting it's just you never like seek out maybe to necessarily be somebody's role model or mentor, but it does naturally happen. Like I have my own mentors in my life, you know, people that I definitely credit to helping me along and giving me that jump up or Absolutely. inspiring me to like uh, just be better. And, and uh, you know, just people that also too at some point, I you know, just I'm just 
just want to emulate because I love everything about them, you know? And then you try and like adopt those things into your own life. Don't say the word emulate though, because then it's just like a complete like conversion. Like you have to like, yeah, you have to emulate, but also be your own person at the same time. Well, I think, I think you learn that as you get older. I think when you're younger, you want to emulate. And then I think when you get older, you realize like being yourself is a really good thing. And you just kind of take little, little bits and pieces from people and then kind of, you know, are inspired by that, I would say. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, part of growing up in this industry is also then becoming somebody that other people can come to and then you share what you've learned. And I think that's super important. Like, I th- I think that's why it gets me upset when I hear, I just, the people that covet knowledge and don't share it or people that are like, I don't know, like so fucking dumb and secretive about their stupid fucking daiquiri build or something. It's like, go oh fuck yourself. God. That's like my like, fa- my favorite thing is to like teach people something that I don't know or like something, something what? that I know. <laughs> Sorry, something I don't know. That's my favorite quote. <laughs> my favorite thing is to teach people something I don't know. I love that. <laughs> uh, that's also true. But um, <laughs> I learn myself. I'm learning and growing at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Well, we all are. But um no, but to teach somebody something that I know and that I can like be like, hey, I know this thing. Like, let me teach you this thing that I know. Right. Can I show you how to do this this yeah, thing? And like, and that person it, it, it just makes me really, really, really happy. And they don't have to take it, but the idea of just you being that person that shares what somebody shared with you. Oh, trust me, I've had plenty of people that didn't take it. <laughs> And we'll be listing all of those people when this podcast ends. But no, we will not. Well, no, I'm not going to record it. But but I think but I, but I think it's one of those things too. Like it's it's fun to see people that like the next generation coming up and no, I love and, it. and seeing love them inspired it. and being like, wow, I didn't even know that you even cared about anything I did. It is like it's such a like a brightening feeling. When they're like, yeah. like they're like, oh my god, you taught me all this, and I'm just like, oh my god, I just thought I was just being a jerk the whole time. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody could ever credit you with being a jerk ever. Ooh, I've never seen that. I don't know. I've never worked with you, but I've never seen it. I've never seen it. But I, but I, I mean, I do think that there's definitely a, a lot to what you're saying, which is just about mentorship and growing. And so, can you, can you walk me through what a day in the life of an Ebor bartender is like in a nutshell. Oh God. Okay. So it's been it's been very different. And I've I've worked in Ebor before in, in the BC as before I'm gonna co- before COVID. Yes, as I'm gonna call it. In the BC. Um I've worked Ebor in the in the BC and I've worked Ebor in the post BC. And um honestly it's just there's so many people like now and I don't like I don't want to be like discredited to like guests and stuff like that. Like I understand like everybody wants to go out and they just want to like do stuff and like they just want like normalcy. Mm-hmm. That's really what they want. They want normalcy. But that doesn't mean you can be a jerk. <laughs> like I'm sorry. Like I like so we talked about this earlier where you had said, I mean, one of the first things I wrote down when we were talking before the podcast was nobody says thank you anymore. They don't. 
So what is that uh, when you're bartending in Ebor and the, it's a the Friday pe- night? Not saying nobody does. People do. Some people do. But the amount it's just it's it's become like almost wild. Like the idea of the hospitality industry was one of the ones that was I feel like the most hurt mm-hmm. by all of everything that happened. They were the they were the we were the most damaged. We got shut down. We got refused. We got everything. Like everybody was out of jobs. We weren't allowed to work. We weren't allowed to do anything. And like a lot of people weren't allowed to do anything, but they could still work from their homes. Mm-hmm. We couldn't. We weren't allowed to. Right. You had to think of other means. I mean, I remember at the peak of COVID, you know, I remember you were doing some virtual bartending things and you and I had actually I, done a little virtual yeah, Instagram we did, we did thing, some but. virtual bartendings. We did like a little, like some online stuff. You hooked me up. Oh my God, I love you so much. You hooked me up <laughs> amazingly with the, the Sony people that like, no, they kept hitting me. Oh, that did was they? Great. Oh my God. Good. Yeah. They loved me. Good. Awesome. I love um, that. But it was just, it was really hard because, like, you have, like, months and months where you don't know. And it was almost, and I guess, like, I think for some people, like, it was more traumatic than it was for me. Because I've already, had like, been through that point in my life where I've been like, all right, I don't have a job. I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have you're, this. you're a tough cookie. Like, I have no. <laughs> Only sometimes. Well, you've been through, you've already been through things that are just super hard to get through. So this was just another kind of It's just, it's just another, it's just another something I have to, it's another hill I have to jump over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But going back. Doesn't doesn't mean that like I don't have a soft heart. I I swear to God I do. (laughs) I try to, I try to like pretend that I'm like a big badass, but I'm really not. (laughs) I'm such a big baby. I really am. <laughs> but going back to you, so having this soft heart and kind of being a baby on the inside and and trying to wrestle with all the hardships that you've dealt with and then going through COVID and then coming back and now being in Ebor, which is, yeah, I mean, it is considered a fairly like gritty part of Tampa bartending. So Ebor is the big historic area of Tampa. It's Cigar City. It is... There's a lot of history here. There's a hodgepodge of, um, you know, different, diff- just different types of people. There's lot. There's just, you know, uh, older restaurants like you know the Columbia Group that's been here forever and and expanding and now doing something new and like all of these older restaurants and mom and pop places like that Creperia is like one of my like all time favorite little oh my God, breakfast I love the nooks. Creperia. Oh my God, I love aren't they the, the best? Creperia so much. But like, there's all these little nooks and crannies of Ebor, and at the at the same time, like down the street. You know, you still hear of like once in a while there's still like an isolated shooting and like it's a gang related violence. And like I remember when I was 18, one of my first stops was in Ebor and I was in college and, you know, one of my friends was like, well, just be careful because like people do get stabbed and like do get shot sometimes in Ebor and you just have to watch out for yourself. So there is like that danger element to it, too. So like from a bartender perspective, I mean, why work in Ebor? Why is Ebor still like a great place to be a bartender at i think because it's just like i learned i like i worked in the french quarter for so long like i i need that i need that like i I just need that like sense of like danger (laughs) 
I don't know. I don't know if that's a weird way to like explain it, but like, I don't know. I just, I, I, not even like a sense of danger. Like I live and I work in Ebor. Like I work, I can walk home and I'll be home in five minutes. Do you feel safe walking? <clears throat> um, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I've like grabbed like a cement brick and like just walked down the street and like, you know, just done that thing. But you know, it, it, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but you would prefer that over what would be the alternative for you? Oh, God, living in the suburbs? That sounds like the worst. <laughs> and why? Because it sounds so boring. Mm. I'm so, sorry. No. I just, like I said, I'm just like, I just need like that, like that. Mm, you I need just, a little grit. Yeah, I need that. Like I said, I need that grit to my city. The spice of life, the adventure that's always there. Yeah. Before we go any further, so I need to know what drink do you think you are and then I'll tell you what drink I think you are and we'll do the same for me <laughs> I am a uh, I'm a black boulevardier a black boulevardier right a aperitivo and then a amaro so I, I'm gonna tell you what drink I think you are what drink am I I think you are a fucking hurricane <laughs> <laughs> What are the exact ingredients to a hurricane that make a hurricane really good? I mean, you have rum, you have hibiscus, you have strawberry, you have um, grenadine, you have streganera, you have... I'm sorry, what? Streganera? Like strega? Strega, sorry, strega. Is strega in the original hurricane? Yeah, it is. Holy fucking shit. So originally, actually, in fun story to like backtrack to like me and my backstory stuff... That's where I originally learned how to batch things. It was batching hurricanes. 300 gallons. 300 gallons. When did Huge. this batching go on? It For an was, event? We would, no, that was that was our entire weekly, like, just oh my go God. on. Yeah, you're, you're definitely Cat the Hurricane. <laughs> I'm just, I love it. That's your drink. Okay, so then, what drink am I? Why did... Oh, what drink are you? You're a split-based daiquiri. Ooh. That's so me. <laughs> Why? Because it's the drink. Why am I a split-based daiquiri? Because that your your personality can sometimes be one way, it can be another way. <laughs> so I'm just crazy. <laughs> and No, that's me. Um, but your personality can be sometimes one way, another way. And it depends. But for the most part, you're grounded. So I'm grounded in the daiquiri build. <laughs> exactly. But I'm a little off. Exactly. I like that. Okay. I'll take it. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you and getting to know your origin story. And thank you for being a guest on the 86 Club. Well, hopefully I can come do it again soon. We can talk more about other things and my tragic life story. <laughs> I love it. I, 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 I would dig further if I could. Oh, my God. Oh, no. We'll, we'll, do, a, we'll do an episode, too. We'll do a follow-up. All right. I love you. Love Mwah. you. Mwah.